Welcome to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. I'm Margaret Michael. Thanks for tuning in, and today we're joined by Sydney Hayslett. Sydney, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. Sydney has joined us um, to talk about something she's very passionate about, and um, I will let you introduce the topic, um, but before uh, we get to that this month, has a certain focus, which is kind of leading us to the topic today, which uh, we heard a little bit about in the service, and wanted to give some opportunity for you just to kind of expound on um, your passion and your calling. And so if you want to start off by sharing what this, what January the focus is. Yes, I'll share. <laughs> this month is National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month. That's right, and so we've had this focus all month of bringing awareness to human trafficking um, specifically, and today uh, you are joining us because you've pretty much had a calling on your life from a young age, Uh, and maybe that would be a good way to start out. Um, I do know that because of your mother. Right. Right. (laughs) Yes, we should mention that. Yeah, we should just go ahead and put that out, put that on the table, so... Um, share with us a little bit this calling, you know, as a middle schooler that you felt. Yeah, yeah. so um, I was in eighth grade, and I was on a trip to the Nazarene Youth Conference, and it was there that I first heard about this topic. This was back in, oh my goodness, I want to say it was probably 2007, 2008, mm-hmm. and so you know, nowadays it's something that people talk more about, but at that point it was something that I had never heard mm-hmm. about. Um, and I just remember a woman came and she sang a song about it. And that has stuck in my mind for so long. It was not a big part of the session or anything. It was just one woman came and sang this song. And I wish I could find it for years. It's called Skin, I believe. And she mm-hmm. just sang about girls being trapped and it was just the first time I'd ever even heard of that concept and I just knew at that point that it was something that I I was feeling called to do something about mm-hmm. but as an, you know an eighth grader I had no idea what that meant or what that would look like and so that kind of stayed in the back of my mind and I never gave it a whole lot of serious thought until let's see I was a senior in high school mm-hmm. and went to another conference called the Passion Conference, and um, they, at that point, had all these different organizations that you could donate to and learn about, and they had kind of stations set up where each organization was set up, and I kind of landed in this one with Word Made Flesh, and they had all these stories, and they had a place where you could write letters to girls who were survivors, and I remember just spending so much time there, and just soaking it all up and remembering that song that I had heard in eighth grade and just being reminded of this sort of calling that I felt like, you know, God was drawing me to this specific population. And so uh, that was right before I headed off to college and, um, you know, of course kept that with me and thought this might be something that I want to be involved with, but I have no idea what that looks like or what the work even is, you know. Um, And so In college, I remember trying to get connected to some places that were doing that, and it wasn't until I was a sophomore that I realized, oh my goodness, I could actually do this as a job. (laughs) You know, it wasn't really something people were doing at that Mm -hmm. point, and so that was kind of the first time I realized, 
that this could actually be something that I do with my life. And so I was majoring in business and psychology, a double major. And, you know, coincidentally, that fit really well with Mm -hmm. kind of that vision. And so um, in college, I um, started an internship at a place called Amira. They're a safe home uh, on the North Shore of Boston. And worked there for a summer, and it was the most challenging Mm -hmm. thing I've ever done. Um, You know, having no idea what that work looked like and just walking into it as a college student. You know, it was just eye-opening. And, um, you know, it made me question, do I want to do this for Mm -hmm. the rest of my life? But it also really solidified for me that, like, this work is really worthy. Mm -hmm. And um, God can do really uh, big things in it. And so I knew that that was something he wanted me to pursue and be a part of moving forward. After that, I finished college and knew that I needed to be back in Virginia for a time. Um, there weren't, there really weren't many people doing that work mm-hmm. at that point. It was really new, and so there weren't a whole lot of opportunities out there for people to do that and get paid for it, honestly. And so the only other place I had heard about was in Tennessee. It was called Rest Stop Ministries, and I met the founder of that organization in college as well. And I knew that they were just starting to open, but she didn't have any openings at the time that I graduated. And so the only thing I knew to do was to come back home to work for a couple family businesses Mm -hmm. and to keep pursuing that as I could. And so I did. While I was here, I also um, volunteered for an organization that was in Charlottesville. Um, They didn't have job openings, but they definitely had opportunities for volunteers. And so uh, I went there and did outings with the residents. I um, did a couple overnights and just wanted to really stay connected to the work, even though I couldn't, you know, do it here in Harrisonburg. I wanted to find somewhere close by. And so I did that until they actually um, closed after a while. And around that same time, um, I heard from Rondi. She reached out to me Um, because she saw that I had posted a picture on Instagram Mm -hmm. of my chickens had laid their first egg. (laughs) And so she saw that and said, we need a farm girl here in Tennessee. I want you to come. Mm -hmm. Um, They had an opening for an assistant residential manager. And so all because of my chickens, uh, she she asked me if I would just come and see the place and interview. And so uh, I did that. That was September of 2016. And, um, yeah, in November, I moved there, and I lived on the property full-time, and uh, it was also a, a really challenging um, thing to do, to live in the house with the women for a short time, and then later lived in an apartment on property, but I uh, worked there for about three years, got a lot of experience, and I knew going into it that I wanted to get the experience so that I could come back here and do the work here because I knew it's just so needed here, but I didn't have the experience at that point to be able to do it on my own. And so, yeah, I moved back here in March of 2020. Such a strange time to move and make a big life change, but um, we didn't know that when we planned it. So, yeah, yeah, we're here now, and um, so we're working on starting a nonprofit. We have uh, created a nonstop corporation and have filed for nonprofit mm-hmm. status and are kind of in the midst of that now, just waiting to hear back on that. Uh, so we're uh, opening Stonehaven is the name of it. And our vision is really just to create a safe place for survivors of sexual exploitation mm-hmm. in the Shenandoah Valley. We want to um, create a place, whether it's short term or long term, just that will really 
fit the needs of the women that are here in the community and create a program that is helpful in walking alongside them um, so that they can find the healing that they need and do that work. And so, yeah, that's that's the vision and where we're at right now. Well, Sydney, you mentioned, you know, that you got kind of the passion or learned about it originally in middle school and then at uh, NYC and then your senior year of high school go into passion and hearing more about it and then in college your sophomore year getting involved with a program up in Boston and you mentioned up in Boston that some things were kind of eye-opening to you and Mm -hmm. challenging Mm -hmm. so just in the different places whether it be Boston volunteering in Charlottesville and working in Tennessee what are some of the things that you've learned or some of the things that you know have continued to spark this calling on your life? Yeah, um, so one of the big misunderstandings about um, survivors of sexual exploitation or human trafficking is that they are these frail people (laughs) that have been kidnapped and need us to save them. You know, that was this kind of rhetoric that I had heard. Or, you know, you see pictures of girls with like ties around their hands or chains around their feet or whatever. And Um, As much as that can happen and does happen, uh, the reality is really that these women have more psychological ties. And these women are strong and they are fierce and um, they have done some really hard things in, you know, their life. And so when I went to that safe home in in Boston, I was really shocked initially at the women that I encountered because their personalities were so strong and it was just not something that I anticipated going in because like I said the media portrays one image of what these women look like and really they are really struggle with a lot of different things that I didn't know before I started it so pretty much I can't say every woman but the majority of these women struggle with PTSD they struggle with um, addiction and they struggle with mental disorders so it really is a lot that they're dealing with and it makes for somewhat uh, a challenging road to recovery for them and and it can make them you know somewhat hard to work with I mean I I love every single woman that I have encountered but they are just not what I was expecting or anticipating they're really really strong and um, you know you have to be to go through life like that and so I think that was one of the most eye-opening things for me was just seeing seeing what what that kind of life has done to them and and how they um, react. It's not me going in to like save somebody. It's me giving them the tools to do the work themselves because they are so capable of doing it. And so I think that was, that's something I I learned over and over is how strong and resilient these women are. Perseverance. Um, Yeah. They've been through so much and they really have a perseverant attitude. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's anything that comes to your mind as you think back over the years of just uh, every woman's story is her own to tell. We know that. But just is there something that could maybe give us a peek into even your life, maybe a challenge that uh, maybe something, like so often when we go into these places, it's kind of like mission work. Like, hey, I'm going, and we think we're going to bless somebody else. Mm -hmm. Um, and we find out that when we go that we receive a greater blessing and the people there bless us. Mm-hmm. Is there something that you can share that 
um, yes, it's hard and challenging work, um, but what's something maybe that you've brought away from it that has impacted your life or you've learned from them? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah, as much as it's challenging, it's also, you know, so rewarding, and it's a privilege to be able Mm -hmm. to work with these women um, and, again, see their resilience and their strength and the wisdom that they have just from the life that they've lived. So, yeah, so many conversations and times and just really, you know, as a residential manager in Tennessee, I was living in the house for a while. And then um, once I was in my own apartment, I still would do overnights in the house. And so it it made for a lot of really good conversations, you know, late at night when they've gotten home from a meeting or, you know, you're really doing life with them. And so just the lessons that they even have taught me on being more patient, on giving more grace, on not judging a book by its cover. You know, I've said these women are tough and strong and fierce, and a lot of them are. Maybe, um, you know, I was probably intimidated at first when I went in. I remember uh, one of them told me the very first night I was there that I looked scared. (laughs) I probably was. I had just driven, you know, seven hours and went straight into, like, meeting them and having dinner with all of them and moving into their house. And I probably was a little scared, but, you know, with probably good reason because they gave me a run for my money sometimes. But ultimately, just being able to, you know, it's such a weird place, you know, when you live in the house with them, but also are kind of in some authority in the house. It's hard to figure out how to create a good relationship without, you know, crossing boundaries. And so they taught me a lot about that, about just how to be in relationship, but, you know, not not going too far with that and um, how to love them with boundaries around it because it can really hurt either one of us if we if we go too far and so definitely a lot of lessons learned in that season of life yeah yeah Yeah, I've watched you um, I have a a seat to kind of watch and I've watched your growth and um, boundaries is something that you've gotten really good at (laughs) (laughs) you have to you have to especially when you are living in the place that you're working yeah I'm sure so you've returned to the valley Mm -hmm. um, in the middle of the pandemic yeah. And now you are um, doing the work um, to provide a, a space for women to heal and to learn that they have potential and mm-hmm. that they are made in the image of God. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah. tell us a little bit about what's happened since you've returned. You've, mm-hmm. you've opened that door a little bit and we mm-hmm. kind of um, yeah. went back and now let's catch back up to where you left off. Yeah. Um, so when I moved back in, 2020. Well, let me start a little earlier than that. Uh, I worked with a girl at rest stop uh, named Brittany. We were there um, together for three years. We were, you know, saw a lot of ups and downs at rest stop together. And back in October of last year, she came to me and said um, that if I still wanted to do something in Virginia, that she would be interested in helping with that. And that was kind of the kick in the pants that I needed to, <laughs> to get moving and do something. Um, to know that I had somebody that wanted to do it with me was really encouraging and motivating to me. And so we went to uh, Rondi, who's the director at Rest Stop, and we told her kind of what we were thinking about. And she was so supportive and so encouraging. And so um, back in March, I made the move back. And Brittany's still in Tennessee, but we're working together to um, kind of start this program. And we had a lot of plans to 
you know, have a launch in the spring or the summer and to do all these things. And then obviously COVID hit Mm -hmm. and all those things were kind of swept away. And so now we have been having some regular prayer meetings. We've been um, praying with people and doing that in person once. And then I think the rest has kind of been virtual, Mm -hmm. Um, but just communicating with our prayer team on where we're at. And we've been having board meetings occasionally and just, uh, yeah, working on developing the initial steps of the program. So, like I said, we've gotten a corporation and we're working on our 501c3 status and now have officially launched um, and are really just in um, communication with other agencies, local places that are doing the work um, and figuring out what does it look like exactly in Harrisonburg and how can we be a good fit and fill a service gap. Um, Brittany and I at Rest Stop, we did long-term residential care, um, but we don't want to just jump right into that if that's not what the need is here. And so we're trying to collaborate with some other organizations and figure out where we can fit a piece in the puzzle rather than, you know, stepping on someone else's toes or doing work somebody else is already doing. Yeah, I love that collaboration and making sure that you're not just going ahead with what you've grown to know and do, but figure out you know what are the needs um, mm-hmm. in this community and who are the people yeah. that are doing the work. I think that is beautiful and very wise. Sydney, as you were talking, uh, kind of two things I was thinking about. You mentioned here in the Valley, and that might catch some people off guard, yeah. thinking, yeah. Really? In our small little valley? Mm -hmm. But if somebody were to come in contact with somebody that they think might be Mm -hmm. in danger of, like, might be being trafficked, and they're Mm -hmm. just not sure, what are things that they can do, or who could they contact? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, the best number to call is the National Trafficking Hotline. I wish I had it memorized, but I don't. I'm sure we can put it in the notes. Um, there's a number you can call or text even, um, and they have been working diligently to um, collaborate with local law enforcement, and, um, you know, they're taking tips all the time and monitoring situations. So they're number one best place you can call, and they can usually give you more direction. The other thing I was going to ask, uh, partnership is great. Mm-hmm. So uh, just, um, you know, whatever else you want to share as far as, you know, if people are interested in praying or supporting mm-hmm. the ministry that you guys are trying to start here in the Valley, mm-hmm. like information, like if they wanted to How they support can, it or yeah. contact. Yeah, so you can go to our website, uh, stonehavenva.org, and we're on um, Instagram and Facebook, stonehavenva. Um, those are probably the easiest ways to find us. Yeah, that's great. Um, is there anything that you would like to share um, with those listening today that maybe we haven't asked you or any type of anything that you would like to share about uh, Stonehaven or trafficking yeah. in general? Yeah, Grayson, I mentioned people might be surprised to hear mm-hmm. that it was happening here, but the truth is that it is. A lot of people think either, you know, it's happening in countries overseas far away from here. It's not an issue that we need to think about, but... It is happening here. It's happening in Harrisonburg and the Shenandoah Valley, um, and we just need to be better equipped to see it. And so, yeah, I would say if you're interested, get educated on it. Um, Check out our website or uh, polarisproject.org has uh, great resources and information, and 
yeah, I think that's probably the number one thing you can do is just to be aware that it's happening. Um, and obviously prayer is a, is a huge thing you can do. Pray for um, Stonehaven, pray for other organizations that are doing the work, and pray for the women and men that are being trafficked because it is it's happening whether we want to uh, admit it or not, unfortunately. What are some specific ways that people could be in prayer, whether they are praying for uh, Stonehaven or mm -hmm. just in general for mm -hmm. people that, you know, or even, you know, knowing what to do and how to help people mm -hmm. they might come in contact with? Mm -hmm. Yeah. As far as praying for Stonehaven and, and other organizations that are doing the work, just pray for, I think, um, wisdom and for discernment from the Lord to know exactly what they need to be doing, what we need to be doing. Um, and then also, obviously, for resources. It, it takes a lot to run a program like this. It takes a lot to care for a woman who has been trafficked. There are a lot of medical needs, mental health needs, um, obviously shelter and food and, and all those things. So it, it takes a lot. So praying for resources for those organizations. And then I think wisdom and discernment for yourself as you come into contact with People you think may be trafficked, there are definitely things to look for, and um, I think um, just asking God to show you, reveal those things to you, um, is really important. So, yeah, it is exciting um, just to think about um, there are women that don't know it today, but that that there's help on the way, that mm -hmm. there's hope, um, and as you went to um, Tennessee, you knew that you were going to engage women mm -hmm. um, and all kinds of personalities. Um, I've had the privilege of meeting a few of them over the years and um, falling in love with them too. Mm -hmm. um, and everybody's story is, it's kind of hard to even ask because everybody's story, as I've said before, it's their story. Um, and we're here to protect the women. But is there anything, a story that you could share? Just kind of, as people are listening to just a little bit of a window mm -hmm. to some of the things that you've experienced that mm -hmm. could give us a little bit more of an idea. Yeah. Maybe the day-to-day. -day. Yeah. Um, one girl comes to mind. I'll call her Amanda. <laughs> She's so sweet. Um, she first came uh, to the program, and she had gotten all of her teeth knocked out mm. by um, her trafficker. And, uh, you know, that leaves a person feeling maybe a little insecure, maybe a little, you know, they're not going to show their smile very often. Um, but even, even through that, she had a personality. Mm. She was wild. <laughs> Um, and I remember <laughs> it was one of her, maybe her first or second week there. She had gotten a splinter in her finger because I, who even knows what she's doing from the porch or something. She got a splinter and she just declared that she was going to die. And she really needed someone to get this splinter out of her finger. <laughs> she was just throwing a fit. And so I took her over near a window so I could see her finger. And I got some tweezers and I was helping her get it out, and once it came out, she just rejoiced. She said, I saved her life. She told me that, every, like, you know, she was there for almost two years, and to that day, she told me I saved her life. She remembered that, that time that I got that splinter out of her finger because 
you know, it's not, it's not something that probably a lot of them had experienced. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about the women that are going through this, their life experience is so different from mine. You know, I had gotten a splinter and you had taken it out of my finger how many times <laughs> right. in my life. But that wasn't something that she had ever really experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, not just not getting a splinter, but not having anyone that was there to take it out mm-hmm. for her. And so that was something that just stuck out in her mind. Mm-hmm. Something I wouldn't normally give a second thought to, but she was just over the moon that I had gotten this splinter out of her finger <laughs> and declared I saved her life. And, you know, she um, grew so much while she was there. And, and eventually we had um, a local office give her a new smile. She mm-hmm. got dentures and she just beamed. Like from that point on, she was just so grateful and so appreciative and just transformed her whole outlook. And, you know, she was one that when she first came, no one thought she would make it three days. Mm-hmm. You know, she was yeah. just, she had come from such a hard story, had walked through so many hard things. And um, unfortunately, not every woman wants to be in a program like this. Mm-hmm. A lot of times that um, emotional pain of working through your healing is harder than the pain of being trafficked or that sort of physical pain. Mm-hmm. And so unfortunately, a lot of times women choose to walk away from the program because they just can't do it emotionally. And so maybe sometimes we get a little too jaded or a little too cynical, and we thought, well, Amanda, I don't, I don't expect her to be around too long, but she stayed for almost two years and did so much hard work and was totally a different person when she left that program. And it was just so beautiful to see and reminded us that God can do anything he wants to do. And again, we should not judge a book by its cover because she really proved all of us wrong and and um, came so, so far. Yeah. You know, I remember being there and working with the women in the garden mm-hmm. and to see them getting their hands in dirt. Mm-hmm. And it was a real experience for some of them. <laughs> yeah, again, um, not something that any of them probably would have done in their lifetime. Right. Yeah. And, and that was just so eye-opening to me that these women had never, growing up in the valley on a farm, like, you know, that they didn't, they hadn't really experienced dirt. Mm-hmm. Like that was a new experience for them, and uh, it's just really amazing just to be able to be there and you know go through those um, experiences to show them something in life, many things in life, like the care of taking a splinter out mm-hmm. or working in the dirt together. And I think those are the things that we take for granted. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. we just take for granted that everyone would have experienced that and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, like I said, their life experience is so different. I remember every year we would do what we called family vacation, and we would take them on a a little two-day trip to an amusement park. (laughs) And let me tell you, that is quite an experience to be with. (laughs) I mean, some of these women, you know, we took women 18 and and older, um, but a lot of them were, you know, in their 30s probably, Mm -hmm. and these women had never been on a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. And it was the most beautiful thing to be able to witness this women, um, you know, just run through an amusement park like a little kid mm-hmm. and um, get to experience that with them for the first time. So, yeah, a lot of um, it's challenging work, but also, like I said, very rewarding to get to um, walk through that with them. Yeah, well, I know that it's, that it is challenging, but it is something that God calls us to. Um, yeah. And so I'm grateful 
that you're stepping into that place and just adding another uh, facet of care and awareness uh, in the valley and not only the valley but we have a lot of there's a lot of cities like an hour mm -hmm. two hours away from here and mm -hmm. when you look at the map on Polaris uh, you can see where the hot spots are in mm -hmm. the cities and there's so much even we know here but such a central location um, mm -hmm. to reach a larger area so yeah. thank you uh, yeah. for what you're doing yeah well Sydney thank you for joining us today on Front Porch Talks and just sharing on this topic of yeah. ministering to these women and these girls that have been rescued from human trafficking and Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Too. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that as you've heard Sydney Hayslet share about uh, ministering to girls that have been rescued from human trafficking, that it has been a half hour of hope for your life. May God bless. Front Porch Talks is sponsored by Church of the Nazarene Harrisonburg in partnership with Sunshine Ministries.